Thank you for listening to Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Buffalo What's Next is on summer break and we'll return with new content shortly. As we take this break, please continue to tune in to WBFO Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. and 9 p.m. for producer picks of some of our favorite episodes of Buffalo What's Next. How can we afford not to talk about race? About education. About segregation. About humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. On today's episode of Buffalo What's Next, Summertime Producer Picks, we highlight two segments from previous shows. Jay Moran talks transportation, equality, and the East Side Trail Plan with Stephanie Simeon, Executive Director of Heart of the City Neighborhoods, and Ashley Smith, Deputy Director of Go Bike Buffalo from December 6th of last year. We continue with Jay Moran as he speaks with Teresa Watson and Sarah Frazier from Push Buffalo to discuss the reforms that would change the housing climate across all of Buffalo from December 14th of last year. First, Jay Moran with Stephanie Simeon from Heart of the City Neighborhoods and Ashley Smith from Go Bike Buffalo from December 6th of last year. And welcome back to Buffalo What's Next. Thanks very much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, Interested in the topic that we have coming up here, we're going to talk about a very significant grant that's coming to Buffalo. It's going to benefit the East Side in a very specific way. Our first, well, let me introduce our guest. We have uh, Stephanie Simeon. She is the executive director of Heart of the City Neighborhoods. Thanks, Stephanie, for being here. Thank you for having me. And also Ashley Smith. Go Bike Buffalo. Uh, Ashley is the deputy director. Hi, Ashley. Thank you, Jay. All right, so thanks for coming in. And what we're getting into here now is this NYSERDA grant. And I know that we're kind of getting off here, but the, the, the point of it is is the East Side Trails Project. Now, this is something I, I love trails. It's one of the <laughs> things I love about Western New York. They're, they're emerging everywhere. I didn't know anything about the East Side pra- Trails Project. Who wants to explain, give me an overview here? Sure. I'll jump in, Jay, just to say that the East Side Trails process, we've done a lot of work so far to try to keep that as close to the community as possible. So this is in some ways, uh, this conversation, widening uh, that loop for everyone. Um, But we've been focused on making sure that the neighbors that are most, uh, you know, impacted and closest to these potential trail facilities are the neighbors that we're focused on engaging so far. Um, These projects would extend the existing Skajakwita Corridor Trail, uh, which meets Main Street near the Delavan Station um, and the footbridge that crosses 33. If people are familiar with that, it would include that trail um, that does exist today um, and is under City of Buffalo ownership and parks control. Is that the Um, uh, Gator Parkway? That is not. So that's uh, where the Skajakwita Corridor uh, is buried, uh, Ah. actually, below there. Um, And then we're looking for on-road connections to connect that facility uh, with, you know, revamped and and overhauled Mm -hmm. uh, with an extended William Gator Parkway. So William Gator Parkway has an existing side path, but there's a lot, it lacks a lot of amenities. um, And there's the opportunity to connect that with the North Buffalo Rail Trail to form a greater connection um, and make sure that the communities uh, within the east side are able to access all of these uh, facilities that exist more broadly have to offer. Let me uh, turn that in, then to, to Stephanie, and she can explain this better than I. So then we're talking about a rail project or mm-hmm. a, a project of this sort on the east side. At the same time, your focus at uh, Heart of the City Neighborhoods is housing. Yes, affordable housing. 
And when you look at affordable housing, you want to look at what amenities a person can have other outside of the built environment. And so to my colleague's point here, we're looking at joining communities. So I, I believe, and I'm geographically challenged, <laughs> but we're looking at joining Lovejoy, Maston, and mm-hmm. University District um, through these trails and then connecting it to a much larger trail Correct. towards the Skajakula. And let's throw in uh, Hamlin Park also. I yes. don't want to miss our neighbors there. Yes. Um, we've also had the Trinidad Block <clears throat> Club um, and some of their uh, community engaged as well. So one of the things that you look at when you're joining these communities is what do they have in common? Um, and they have very old housing stock. Hamlin Park does have the benefit of having a significantly strong, engaged community block club. And so we wanted to make sure we partner with them to say that as we bring on these trails, as we enhance the way that you use your community, we want to make sure that um, the neighborhood becomes primed for other resources. And so we wanted to make sure that we dealt with the main concern that came out of all the community engagement, which was gentrification. And for right. many people, that's a you know big G word, but as an urban planner, there is a way to make sure that the neighborhood has an equitable plan in place to make sure that when private investment does decide to come in, the neighborhood is ready where they're not spectated upon. And so that's why we wanted to make sure that if we're joining these really unique old communities, uh, historically African-American communities, we wanted to make sure that as we work on ways to enhance it through these trails, that nothing was going to be taken away. Sure. And uh, the gentrification issue is obviously huge. At the yeah. same time, I just want yeah. to make sure, though, or or get some perspective on this. If and we'll even say when, when yeah. this project is complete, do we have an understanding that that is going to increase private investment into neighborhoods? Is that is that something that follows? Yeah, Jay, this isn't a stat that I have with me this morning, um, but we've seen the country over uh, rails to trail conversion. We were mm-hmm. talking earlier about the fact that this will use some former uh, railroad right of way. Um, they are often a harbinger for an increase in property values. And it really makes sense when you think about the resource that these facilities can be for a community in a neighborhood. Um, they certainly attract investment. People enjoy them. It creates a space that people can go, can gather, can walk, um, clear their head. And that's absolutely what you want in your neighborhood, (laughs) what you want in your community. And so as soon as you see these facilities um, in, you know, in the neighborhoods and in the community, we expect to see people want to live there. um, And that's going to come with some increased attention. And we want to make sure the people that are living there now are the people who get to benefit from these facilities. Right. And so one of the things that we were thinking of is tying it with doing an owner-occupied rehab. So working with the folks that already own their homes in these neighborhoods that are in proximity to the trails and then providing them with small grants to do the repairs. So that if a spectator would come come by, they wouldn't say, well, let me just offer you $40,000 for your house that we consider to be in disrepair. And then someone is enticed by that. We're going to say, no, we're going to give you that money to do the roof, the windows, doors, whatever is needed so that you can maximize the life of that home that you're in and then still be able to benefit from the equity that is going to be built from that rehab. I don't want to get off the topic too yep. much, but since I have you here, that is an issue right now already yep. in the in the east side of Buffalo. Yep. That people are coming. Will we buy houses for cash? Mm-hmm. It's all over. You can see the signs on every little thing, um, on every on the electric pole. It's like we buy your house for cash. What we've done at Heart of the City, we've been able to make sure that we um, 
have a proactive approach. And the best approach was to support unoccupied units with rehab assistance up to $40,000. And we've noticed that that doesn't, it doesn't take away gentrification, but it definitely has the spectator. They're going to have to come up with a higher price. Gotcha. And they're not going to, will, they're not willing to do that. All right. And, and then to add to that, or just to build on the idea then for you, the homeowner yeah. who's thinking, oh boy, it'd be nice to get some cash. Hold on because a major improvement mm-hmm. is coming to your neighborhood mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In terms of this trail project. What would it be, let's talk about then the benefits for the residents. What, what, how, you know, like I said, I have my own, I guess, inert love for these types of things. It mm. sounds great to me. What a great place to walk, great place to ride my bike. Right. But what benefits, what, what, what's going to be the benefit beyond home ownership and home value? What's going to be the benefit to the neighborhoods? Yeah, the benefit will be that people have a safe alternative to our current city street. Are, are, are the current city streets unsafe? Yes, I would absolutely say um, coming from Go Bike and and from our perspective, um, city streets are not safe enough. Um, We issued a report earlier this year uh, showing crash and injury rates across the city network to be able to highlight uh, areas that are more dangerous than others. Um, And you'll see some of the roadways in these communities are among the most dangerous in the city. So it's really absolutely critical that people have an alternative. For Go Bike, we want to see people, no matter what mode they choose, and knowing, especially in Buffalo, with our median income, that sometimes a personal automobile is not what you can spring for to afford. So we need to see transportation facilities and networks that can give people dignity no matter what mode they're choosing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you walk, if you take the bus, if you take your bike, and maybe you combine these in order to get where you need to go, these facilities, uh, both uh, legs of it connect with transit stations. The William Gator Parkway extension component of this would connect at LaSalle Station, which is also poised for some redevelopment currently. And so there's a lot of opportunities for what this could connect to there, what kinds of resources could be available on site and just a short bike ride or walk away from most of these neighborhoods and a safe one now mm-hmm. um, with these facilities. And the Skajakwita leg connects again at Delavan in Maine, um, where that train station is as well. Um, the Delavan route is a popular bus route. So the potential for interconnectivity here is also really critical um, and a com- key component of, of where Go Bike and Heart of the City neighborhoods are partners on this uh, going forward. Absolutely. And just as a, a little bit of a disclaimer, uh, we should note that uh, Ashley rode her bike in today on this rainy day. Yes, she did. Yes, it's really uh, where I can share with people who are listening this morning. It's quite pleasant um, once you have the appropriate uh, wear. The Dutch have a great saying, there's no bad weather, only bad clothing. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice, very nice. The warrior tradition tells the inspiring, heartbreaking, and largely untold story of Native Americans in the U.S. military. Why would indigenous men and women put their lives on the line for the very government that took their homelands? A lot of people ask, why did you join the white man's war? This is our home. This has always been our home. And part of the commitment to protecting and defending your home led to military service. Hear stories of service and pain, of courage and fear in the warrior tradition, now streaming on YouTube. Are you looking for a rewarding career in public media? Visit WNED.org careers to learn more about becoming a part of a talented team dedicated to making a difference in our communities. Employees at Buffalo Toronto Public Media enjoy a variety of outstanding benefits. We are located in downtown Buffalo and we have free parking. 
We are focused on inclusivity and belonging. Come as you are and apply today. Visit WNED.org careers. Take your favorite radio stream anywhere you go with the WBFO The Bridge app. Search the playlist for that great song you just heard. I don't care about you, it's Friday, I'm in love. Use the Talk to Us feature to tell us what you think about The Bridge and press the red Join the Crew button to become a Patreon member to support College Radio for Adults. Find the WBFO The Bridge app wherever you get your apps. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We continue our conversation with Jay Moran, with Stephanie Simeon, and Ashley Smith from December 6th of last year. With us uh, this morning, Ashley Smith and also Stephanie uh, Simeon. Uh, what about the, the neighborhoods right now in terms of mm-hmm. what this project could mean, but where they are right now? What are they, what are these neighborhoods lacking? Yeah, so, you know, we like to look at it from an asset-based community development approach. And so I think, you know, people who pay attention and who are your readers, they already know what some things are missing. So, you know, we want to use this opportunity to talk about the things that they have. Um, We have a strong community. We have people who have gone through so many pandemics before the health, before COVID. Sure. We've had people who have gone through the crack cocaine pandemic. We have gone through so much. Um, And now we have people who are saying, I want to live here. They choose to live here. We don't have to market the neighborhood. They want to live there. There are um, a burgeoning entrepreneur community coming in. People are um, taking advantage of what would look like missing teeth. So these vacant housing, we have the vacant structures. We're looking at people who are um, partnering in land trusts. We're looking at folks who are doing gardening, urban agriculture. So there's a lot happening in the in the east side. And so we just want to be able to use the resources that we've been able to come in, which is a very competitive grant to just 10x the way people are living and the way people have um, experienced the east side and and help them with branding and help them say no you can do this and this is available and we want to make sure that we prime the neighborhood for those kind of resources and do it make and make sure that it's culturally appropriate as we do that you know you, I'm, i apologize ashley but when you were talking you brought about seven different issues that we could have probably gotten yeah. to in other shows <laughs> but uh, we'll hold off on that i'm sorry yeah, Ashley. no i just want to jump in to fill that in a little bit and offer just a couple Please. of names for partners Perfect. that we've been working Perfect. with um you know as stephanie's saying there's you know, such a large base that we're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had the pleasure through this East Side Trails project of connecting with the Northland, uh, the Northland Beltline Taxpayers Association, the Norfolk Avenue Block Club, Hamlin Park Community and Taxpayers mm-hmm. Association, with the Restore Our Community Coalition, Trinidad Neighborhood Association, Mount Olive Baptist Church and their Development Corporation, 
Uh, I may be missing the Del Grider Community Center. There's so many organizations doing great work uh, across these communities, and we're really stepping in and looking to work with them. Um, and a lot of, I think, the process so far has been getting to know, connecting uh, with the visions that they all have mm-hmm. and being able to really incorporate and lift that vision. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking also in that context about the Fillmore Square Garden um, and the work that Rita Gay has been doing there for years. Um, they yes. have a strong vision um, for what can be happening on Fillmore Avenue. And this is a space where we are able to connect some resources to that as a broader picture. And it, it's interesting you, you bring up the community engagement. We did mm-hmm. talk about this just a little bit before we went on the air. And, and it, it seems like you're very sensitive to the idea that you want to co- use this as an opportunity to connect these neighborhoods mm-hmm. to improve, perhaps, perhaps, I guess it's always depending on your opinion of improve neighborhoods, but you don't want to be mandating no. to neighborhoods. What about that, though, in terms of, we, t- we touched upon this a little bit before, getting people to be involved right now at this stage of history, not only in terms of, of the world, but right. in terms of Buffalo and East Buffalo yeah. since May 14th. Yeah. Since May 14th, it's been really difficult for groups to, for people to come in groups. Um, you know, we already had to deal with the fact that we weren't able to do that. We had to safe, <clears throat> excuse me, safely distance because of the pandemic and health concerns. Many of the communities that um, Ashley and I are working with um, daily are largely senior communities. So we also have to be very um, understanding that they may have existing health conditions. And so that would have made it really difficult for them to meet t- together anyway. Sure. Then you add in the, 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 the massacre that happened, which said to people, it kind of, kind of went in their minds that we're not safe. Even and in the safest places. In the safest safe. places. You know, a na- nationwide we're noticing that people aren't safe in places of worship. And this is beyond just, you know, um, these are multiple religions that are having trouble with keeping their people safe in those spaces. The children aren't safe in schools. So in many cases, where are people supposed where are people supposed to go? And so this is why if, you know, as we're working together here, we're saying, okay, you know what? We can't do a lot of, about that. A lot of these things are beyond our control. But if we can make uh, your walk down the street safe, where we can deal with, you know, we can't deal with, you know, the the, the, the distressed communities, the socioeconomic status that has that is known, you know, nationwide for, for Buffalo, the poverty status. We can't do a lot about that. But if we can make your... Um, your walk around your neighborhood, if your kids can play across the street, if they can go to a place that is safe, if we can do something with the lighting, if we can make sure that we work with the city to provide you with um, curbs and safe streets and safe walks, then we've done something. We have done something to allow someone to have a better quality of life. Because right now when we're trying to meet with people, we have to do things virtually. People still just do not feel safe meeting in large gatherings. And I think... um, you know, churches across uh, across Buffalo will have the same concern. There's a, there's a huge decline in people coming together for that. They just don't feel safe. So, uh, like you said, Ashley, earlier that um, this kind of is trying to get the word out a little bit more expansively about this project. What are the steps that are going to be taken to to then get that word out to all of these locales? And then, as Stephanie was uh, talking about here, Bringing everybody together. I mean, yeah. what, what, what's what's the engagement process moving forward? 
Yeah, moving forward, as you know, we take a breather for the holiday season and then come back early next year, we'll have a public meeting on the calendar. Um, you know, once we head into January, and that will be our next broader public interface. So we'll be working together to make sure that there are multiple access points for that, limiting barriers, as Stephanie's saying, is a huge part of this for us, um, and just reducing barriers to access uh, also for people within the infrastructure in their communities. What about when you talk about barriers? Let's talk about the barriers that might exist. We want to be optimistic about this happening. What are what are the barriers that could keep this from happening? Mm-hmm. What what do we see in terms of opposition to these types of programs? Because I mean, you know, from my perspective, just one man's opinion looks great to me. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'll say with this Nicer to Clean uh, Neighborhoods Challenge Award to LISC New York, this secures most of the funding that we need in order to complete these projects. So funding is typically a large barrier that you have to cross. And and that's one that I'm really excited to say for this audience that we've crossed. Um, What comes next is, you know, as Stephanie's mentioned, making sure that we're addressing the concerns that are the most prevalent in the community um, and making sure that we're meeting those needs first. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's a critical barrier for us to cross in implementing this project is making sure that we have heard, you know, loud and clear from the neighborhoods that are the most directly impacted what they need to see in order for this to be a success. Because even if we have the funding to build them, if we can't build them to the neighborhood specifications, it's not a successful project. Um, In terms of broader opposition to these projects, um, you know, there are some that question whether or not this is the most important investment that we could make with these dollars. Um, And to that, I would say, you know, in response, the same things that I'd said so far, which is that this is a really critical transportation connection um, for Go Bike, for the vision that we see for the future, where people have more mobility options, um, have options for healthier lifestyles, and have options for less costly uh, transportation choices. Um, this is this kind of facility is absolutely critical. It's a critical component of building a network, and network is what has to happen for this to be realistic. Um, and then another logistical hurdle that we will have to cross is right of way okay. for this. Yeah. So some of it is. Uh, you know, former railroad corridor, um, but some of it we will have to acquire. And and so that will be a challenge going forward. But again, the fact that we are resourced to be able to do this work uh, makes that a hurdle that I'm sure that we will cross. How much, when we talk about the railway um, right-of-ways, how much space are we talking about in the city of Buffalo? I'm familiar with some of it, but is there really uh, that that much that would that could help this project? Yeah, so the Eastside Trails project itself is about three miles total, mm-hmm. including on and off road connections. So we're only looking at you know a couple of miles of right of way to assemble for this project. Um, but this is just the start. There are plenty of other potential connections. Um, you know, I encourage listeners if you're interested in trails projects to you know head over to GoBikeBuffalo.org and see more of what we're working on. We do expect to see what other linkages can be coming. Um, Buffalo was built at a time, you know, I mentioned earlier uh, with, you know, we have sidewalks. um, We have a great, you know, historic street grid to work from. Um, We need to make it safer and we need to slow traffic down. But we also have a lot of rail corridors that are linked in to key points in our city. Uh, I don't know much about what's happening currently with Central Terminal, but that's another great example of, you know, infrastructure that's there that can be reactivated and utilized. And so some of these former rail corridors can become, you know, the new artery of our transportation system. Another example of our heart. Our history is could be our future here in, in Buffalo. Absolutely, uh, Ashley. 
um, uh, Ashley Smith and uh, Stephanie Simeon with us here uh, for the next 10 minutes on um, what's next Buffalo. Um, Stephanie, what about when you talk to perhaps people that you deal with uh, um, at the um, at your organization? Mm-hmm. When you talk about, you throw this idea out there, and again, we're, I mean, we're kind of at the the beginning stages of making this all a reality, but right. what are some of the initial reactions to, oh, we're going to have a, 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 a pathway going through <laughs> the east side? <laughs> so one of the things I just want to add in um, what Ashley beautifully said is that when you talked about barrier, one of the barriers is the paradigm shift. Um, there is a lot of research out there, and um, I'm pretty sure that it's, you know, just from a typical Google, Google search, you can see it, how people of color interact with green space. Um, and there is um, some challenges around how people interact with or what they're giving access to. Okay. So when we talk of, when, we, when you look at, you know, this is me with my housing hat on. Sure. When you look at what uh, created red line communities, right? Historically, it wasn't, you know, sort of a black issue. It was mostly um, uh, uh, certain Europeans that they considered they didn't want in their neighborhoods. So they redlined those communities and created barriers for them to be able to be green line communities. Um, when you look at, uh, you separate Buffalo and you see how people are allowed to interact with space, with green space, it is a completely different when you look at a, like an MLK Park area as opposed to an Elmwood Village. Completely different where you have Bidwell, right, Bidwell Parkway, where people can um, use this green space any way that they like. And then on certain days of the week, there's a farmer's market. You can play. You can do whatever you want to do. You have access to these trees, this fresh air. You have these things. There was a Bidwell in the east side. It was now the 33, mm-hmm. <laughs> 33 Expressway. So... When we're looking at telling people we're going to have these trails, we're going to have this access, you're going to be able to do these things. We have to deal with the cultural sensitivity issue of how are we uh, have allowed you as a community to interact with green space. So the first thing you're going to come up with is fear. Well, what's happening when I'm on this trail? Um, right. well, well, is somebody going to, you know, is somebody out there, you know, if it's, is it not lit? What's going on is, you know, what, what are these kind of things? And so you're going to, um, you have an already traumatized community now dealing with something where some people would say that would be lovely. I would take, I would take my kids for a walk. I would take my bike for me because I don't bike. I would take a nice, a nice walk or a, a light, a light run or a jog. Um, but I also live near Delaware Park, right? So that would be a different experience from someone that lives on Box Street, um, where there is within a five mile radius, there is no green space. Right. So that idea of what do you do when you have a trailway, most folks are not going to know what to do. So how do people respond when they have a fear? It's just that they're going to push it away. They're going to say, we don't need this in our neighborhood. This is a bad idea. We don't want it. So we're going to come up with some community feedback just because we have a community that has said certain people, based on the zip codes that they are born in, are not allowed to have access to green space. Because So, that, so that's what we're going to have. What we're going to have to do as community-based organizations is then walk people through. So with 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 Go Bike, we had an, an opportunity with the Delavan, um, the bike, was the bike path by the Skajakwita. Um, we just go out there with you. Mm-hmm. We're gonna walk. We're gonna walk there with you. We're gonna get on our bikes and we're gonna do that. And then we, when you come back, we're gonna feed you real good food. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> because this is a community. We love our good food, New Yorkers, right? So we have to figure out ways to to kind of baby steps people and say, sure. you know, as you're a, anticipating you, that. We're in, yes, yes. Okay. We know for sure that that is going to happen. And I also know as from personal experience, even though I'm, you know, originally from um, Brooklyn, New York, I didn't have as much exposure to the the green space until I came to Buffalo and I lived in in this neighborhood where I'm down the block from the Buffalo Zoo and that kind of thing. It was very foreign to me to be in that space and I didn't feel always welcome. That's why you don't hear people saying it when you look at the pictures of people going to Central Park and these other places. They do not look like me, um, and so we have to tell people that. That is a right. That is a human right for you to have access to these things. And here's a great way for you to be able to access these things. And that's why we want to join these communities together through these trails. So there's a lot of work that's going to be happening behind the scenes. But we're going to walk the community through and say, we're going to do everything we can to use this as leverage. Because once we can tell people how to maximize the life in their community and, and improve their quality of life, other resources will come for the housing, for the access to healthy foods, for better education opportunities for our kids. It will happen. We just have to start in a place that is palpable to the larger funders. So, Ashley, you're going to reach out. You're going to get input from neighborhoods. But at the same time, as Stephanie just kind of alluded to, you know there's going to be baby steps. What are some of the things that you're Growing up as a person who's involved in policy, what are some of the benefits that you're going to be highlighting and, and trying to assure people that this is going to work out well for their neighborhoods? Sure. We mentioned before this is all public health related mm -hmm. for us. Go Bike is a public health-based organization. Um, this provides an immediate opportunity to get people out walking more. Um, the Surgeon General recommends 30 minutes of walking per day, um, and many of our trips are less than a mile. So a lot of our trips, if the infrastructure is supportive, can be walkable. And so the benefits, again, you know, it relates to our health. It means that we will be healthier, uh, happier. Our mental wellness will improve. All of these have, you know, direct relationship to having access to facilities like this, to having safer sidewalks, mm -hmm. safer crossings. Uh, the business benefits of this come additionally. I come from a Main Streets program mm -hmm. background and economic <laughs> development. Um, you know, I've seen some of the recent work that the Jefferson Avenue Business Association is mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of other organizations, again, around the city that are waiting uh, for the infrastructure to be there to be supportive. Stephanie mentioned redlining. We have a history of mm -hmm. disinvestment mm -hmm. in these communities. And again, not focusing on the deficits that are there. All of these organizations, businesses are ready and waiting for that investment. And mm -hmm. when we see this investment come through, uh, we see the infrastructure improved. The benefits are so much greater reaching than I can describe in some of those simple stats. We have less than two minutes remaining, but I want to get two pieces of information from you, Ashley, before I finish up with Stephanie. Um, First and foremost, uh, a projected date that this could be completed, and again, the website where people can find out more. Yes, absolutely. So in terms of a projected date, we're looking at at least, you know, three to four years before we would have a project complete. Mm -hmm. uh, we're getting ready to work, you know, in earnest coming back from the holiday season to get more public engagement into this process. So the work that we're doing currently, we're wrapping up a feasibility study effort. And we're expecting now, knowing that funding is coming, to roll that directly into additional design work, engineering, and eventually construction. That was Jay Moran with Stephanie Simeon and Ashley Smith from December 6th of last year. 
We'll be back with more Buffalo What's Next right here on WBFO. I'm Kraus Schallhorn with Mindful Music. Join me for thoughtful and in-depth conversation with my many different guests from around the region and the world as they discuss how music helps and heals in times of stress and everyday life. Listen to Mindful Music Saturdays at 4 p.m. right here on WBFO, your NPR station. Buffalo Toronto Public Media's unique and valued programming on WNED-PBS, WNED Classical, and WBFO make us a perfect partner for any company interested in making a real difference in our community. Your support has the power to associate your business with one of the most trusted brands in North America. Call me, Sylvia Bennett, to find out how you can make a difference. 716-845-7005. Buffalo is home to many historical treasures, including architectural gems. Central Terminal affected everybody. Everybody from the common man to the movie star walked this concourse. Beloved community establishments. They might get a glimpse to see Lena Horne. Uh, they might uh, see Dizzy or Miles Davis, uh, you know, Charlie Parker. And homes for local sports teams. When we talk about an institution, Memorial Auditorium was an institution. The WNED PBS original production, Remembering Western New York, Explore some of these iconic structures and their connection to people who live in the region. There was a time when Buffalo's Main Street was the focus of holiday shopping in Western New York. Watch Remembering Western New York now on YouTube. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is and we WBFO, end the show with Jay Moran with Teresa Watson station. and Sarah Frazier from Push Buffalo from December 14th of last year. And welcome back to Buffalo What's Next. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. My name is Jay Moran. Uh, for the next half hour, we're going to talk about housing. And needless to say, in a half an hour, there's not enough time to talk about housing issues. There's a lot to get to, but we're going to break it down to more of a, a specific uh, element of this in just a moment. Our guest this morning from Push Buffalo, Teresa Watson, who is the housing justice organizer. Hi, Teresa. Hi, everybody. And uh, Sarah Frazier is with us. She is the street team coordinator. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Thank you very much uh, for, for joining us here uh, this morning. And like I said, there's a, a lot to talk about when it comes to housing, and we can get into so much, and I don't necessarily want to water down what we're doing here today uh, by getting into too many issues right now, but there are some key issues we want to get into, and we're going to talk about the um, Tenants' Bill of Rights that's being proposed mm -hmm. by Push Buffalo, an interesting document, but before we get into the specifics of that, I want to talk about the realities of living in the city of Buffalo. 60% mm -hmm. of People that live in the city of Buffalo are renters, correct? Correct. That is true. Yeah. Well, I will, I will admit we round up by about 0.3%. It okay. is actually like 59.7 or something like that. Um, as of the, the most recent census data, it may have even gone up with the recent crisis in housing and costs. Um, but yeah, roughly 60% of the city is renters. And that's something that I think we... We don't recognize a lot. We don't think of the uh, tenants as a majority of the population um, by a long shot, right? And uh, there are a lot of reasons for that, right? We prioritize homeownership 
as a society for a lot of reasons. But then that creates a, a false dichotomy, right? So tenants, um, tenants deserve the same rights and protections and quality of life as anybody else. And to be a tenant is not a failing, right? I am a tenant. I and, am a tenant. Yeah. I really enjoy being a tenant. I don't know how to fix a roof. <laughs> I don't know how to snake my drains. <laughs> I enjoy that, you know, that I can have a responsible small local landlord who does actually come and do repairs as needed. But unfortunately, that is not the reality for the vast majority of us. And that was what I was going to get into there, Teresa, just that, that idea that, okay, sure, okay, you're a renter and it's going to be hassle-free renting, <laughs> right? But that's not necessarily the case. And, and Sarah... Part of your street team, you went out and canvassed about this uh, tenant bill of rights. And so you met with thousands of people who Correct. live in the city of Buffalo. Take me through, if you could, just a couple of the stories of the types of things that people are dealing with as renters in the city of Buffalo. So um, a lot of we went over the course of um, the summer. We canvassed over a thousand doors. Thousands. Thousands of mm -hmm. doors. And some of the stories that we heard on the doors were um, the, the the single mother of three children that is living in the lower apartment of a, a two-family home. Okay. And the top porch is falling. You can literally see the beams and see where it's broken. She's afraid to let her children come outside and play on the porch. She lives on a very busy street, so there is no place for them to actually go down on the grass and play and things of that nature. So they're stuck in the house. Yeah, and you also told me that not only that, but as you're going onto the porch of many homes in the city of Buffalo, mm -hmm. um, which, which are apartments in these cases or flats or whatever the case may be, some of those porches um, are We're dangerous. unsafe, extremely unsafe. Um, there were times when we actually weren't able to get up on the porch and we ended up having to meet the tenant at like the back door or something of that nature in order to speak with them, in order to get information from them and have them sign the postcard because of the fact that we were afraid we were going to fall through the porch. And this say, is where people are living. Right. I definitely developed the habit of testing the steps. I'm about a 200-pound person. I would test the steps before mm -hmm. I would go up if they looked a little suspicious. And I broke myself of the habit of using railings because none of the railings, are maybe secured. not none, but very few are secure. And so I would actually, I would touch the railing. The railing would move. I would feel unstable. Right. And mm -hmm. so I just, I don't use railings anymore. Right. <laughs> so you're tiptoeing your way up through these porches to try to talk to people. You said, if I'm not mistaken, what, 1,200 people, you, you, when you were going out canvassing, you mm -hmm. had these postcards, not necessarily just from the street team, but also from other events and things like that. Mm -hmm. 1,200 people responded to your, uh, to, with those postcards and sent them back to you? That's, I mean, that's, a, that's an astounding yeah. number of, of people who had issues, obviously, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and were gen they generated enough, um, enough energy in the sense that they wanted to do something about it. They sent these postcards, and that says to me a lot about, uh, mm -hmm. that's just a, a capsule of the renters in the city of Buffalo. That says a lot about 
the way a renter feels about their current situation. Yes. And so we we collected the majority of them on the doors. We did the street team, of course, was canvassing and all, our members as well, people volunteering their time, um, multiple different evenings and weekends. Uh, we had folks going out every week. A couple canvases were running with members as well as with the street team. And we did collect over 1,200 signed postcards from across the city. And th those were all tenants, some landlord or some, excuse me, not landlords, but some some smaller homeowners. homeowners, especially we would hear from folks who would say, I own my home, but my daughter is in a horrible situation or my son is he's couch surfing right now. He stays with me sometimes and sometimes with friends closer to his job because he's working, but he can't find anywhere he can afford. So mm -hmm. we would, or sometimes you would talk to a homeowner who would say, you know, the people that live next door to me, they're great, but I know the person who owns it isn't keeping it up. And I'm getting rats in my house because yes. that landlord won't take care of the property. Correct. And they would know that it wasn't the tenant's fault because those tenants had been there for three or four months and the problems had been going on for years. So this is, this is something too that we would see very often something we hear blamed on tenants as if it is their fault that the building itself has become infested through neglect. When a, t a tenant, a renter, complains about the situation and, try and gets in a dispute with the landlord or whatever the case may be, what is sometimes the response they get when they say, okay, you know, my plumbing's not working, I don't have running water, my pipes are contaminated, what is sometimes the response they get? At least you have somewhere to live. At least you have somewhere to live. At least you have a roof over your head, whether the roof is falling through. A tacit threat of homelessness. Correct. And I think that it can be followed up by not just a tacit threat, but a genuine threat. A genuine threat. So, yeah, take me through that. Take me through the how that might work. Mm -hmm. if somebody, okay, I, I, I'm done dealing with this electric issue in my in my my apartment i'm not paying mm -hmm. this rent yes or i'm i'm you know i'm, I'm going to take you to housing court or whatever the mm -hmm. case may be what sometimes happens beyond that yes so i think whether or not a tenant is withholding rent which is of course their legal right but there are very specific ways that a tenant needs to do that sure. many folks do not know um, that you need to have your money in escrow when you go to housing court or you will not be respected by the housing court judge, frankly. Um, so will would, they automatically d dismiss your case? Yeah, they will yes. functionally say that uh, it looks like you just didn't feel like paying because you don't have the money here, so you were never willing to pay, so it must not be about the repairs. And, and mm -hmm. that happens to far too many people. So I would really encourage folks that Neighborhood Legal Services has several really great PDFs just up online that you can read on how to properly withhold your rent so that you protect yourself. I will say that um, is just like as an aside. Sure. But before you, whether or not people are doing it in the quote unquote correct ways, because we know that when you're dealing with a longstanding issue, you're frustrated, you've been telling this landlord about it for maybe months um, and getting no response, then maybe you do withhold, maybe you don't. Either way, you are not actually protected as a tenant. Your ability to stay in your home is not guaranteed. So there's um, something called a 30 or a 60 or sometimes a 90 day notice. So in 2019, the laws changed and people, depending on how long they've been in their home, 
get slightly more time than just 30 days to be exited from their apartment, but nobody gets more than 90 days to find a new home under the law because a landlord has the right at any time to turn people out without a court process, without any need for legal paperwork, um, without any kind of government oversight. They just can say, uh, even though you're a tenant in good standing, even though perhaps your rent is up to date, or perhaps you're withholding one month of rent from me, or half a month's rent, mm -hmm. which amounts to $500 or something like that, um, I, as the landlord, as the owner of this unit, have decided to exit you. And there is nothing that a tenant can do about that. Once you have received this notice to vacate, you're done. There's, there's, there's nothing that a legal provider can do to protect you. And so that is where I say organizing comes in. But one of the solutions that we know tenants need um, is good cause. And that's a policy that we're pushing for at both the state and the local level. And we'll certainly want to get, to, get into that mm -hmm. as we get into mm -hmm. the second part of our program. We're going to talk about that Tenant Bill of Rights. But just before we go uh, to our break here, Sarah, can you maybe give me a, a description, perhaps, of a place, uh, pick, a, pick a neighborhood mm -hmm. and, uh, and a price that you saw and you could not believe that somebody was paying this much for this type of property. There were in the Broadway market area, um, a lot of the canvases that we did down there, rents were $1,200, $1,300 to piggyback off of Teresa's story. So then the landlord then comes to this point of kicking this tenant out because they were they are withholding because they're not getting the repairs done that they need to have done. This landlord then takes it upon themselves and hikes up the rent mm -hmm. for the next person to move in. And because of the fact that there are not enough houses in mm -hmm. our city for people to be safe and secure, or think that they're going to be safe and secure, they can charge $1,500 for these mm -hmm. units. And, that... and people are breaking their necks to pay this. Mm -hmm. I can think of one, one woman that I met in the, in the Broadway Fillmore neighborhood. Mm -hmm. She's a, a single mom she's living on the first floor of one of those classic buffalo duplexes you know mm -hmm. i'm sure we can all picture right? right um and instead of a window she has put the lid of a rubbermaid tote up um in the window directly next to her door and she told me that she had in fact even bought the glass for her landlord to replace the window after it got busted out. But over a month later, he still had not replaced it. So this is a single woman living on a first floor with a visibly busted out window, having to put pieces of plastic over her window to try to keep herself safe. And the landlord is refusing to repair it. It's not exactly the uh, classic look at a Buffalo duplex that we want to dream about, <laughs> no. right, for sure. We're going to talk a lot more about this as we go into our second half of our, our time here with Teresa Watson and also uh, Sarah Frazier from Push Buffalo. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Do you absolutely love Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, PBS NewsHour, great performances, and other amazing shows on WNED-PBS? 
but you're not always in front of your TV when they're on. Don't miss them. You can stream the channel live wherever you are in Western New York by visiting WNED.org slash live or use the WNED PBS app. Sounds great. Let's go. The podcast world is overflowing with more than 750,000 podcasts to choose from. But for great local podcasts, you can now go to one place, the new Amplify BTPM Pods app. Here you can discover content produced in Western New York and Southern Ontario, our own backyard. With a wide variety of genres to choose from, there is something for everyone. Listen to the best independently produced podcasts in the region anywhere, anytime. Download the free Amplify BTPM Pods app wherever you get your apps and begin exploring your local podcast community now. Robot Peer Pressure. I'm Bob Hershon, and this is Science Update. Growing up, many of us were warned against succumbing to peer pressure from other kids. But as interactions with robots become more commonplace, could they influence our decisions as well? Ghent University researcher Tony Belpame and his team had children and adults answer extremely easy questions in the presence of cute humanoid robots. Sometimes, a robot would suggest an incorrect answer. If you give the wrong answer, then we know that you are socially conforming to robots. And it turns out that adults are not sensitive to peer pressure from robots, but children are. Belpame's team reports in Science Robotics that 74% of children's incorrect answers matched those suggested by the robots. He says that as robots become a bigger part of our daily lives, it will be important to understand their potential to affect kids' choices. I'm Bob Hershon for AAAS, the Science Society. Our region is home to some of the finest communities in the world. Explore them through the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel today. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And welcome back to Buffalo What's Next. Uh, we're talking with Teresa Watson and Sarah Frazier from uh, Push Buffalo this morning. Push Buffalo has put together a tenant bill of rights. This is a, a fascinating document that looks and covers a lot of different issues. And just like the Bill of Rights that we've all become familiar with and attached to the U.S. Constitution, there are 10 in there. We're not necessarily going to go through all 10 right now, mm -hmm. uh, but I think we can maybe put that off for a later uh, program, but there are a couple of key elements here that we most certainly want to get into right now. And one of them is, what is it called? The um, uh, good uh, cause eviction. Is that how? Do I have that right? It yes. is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and so I and, will... and this was, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, this when you got these postcards back, this was the number one issue mm -hmm. from the people who decided to give you input on this out of 1,200 people, 1,200 responses. This was yes. the number one that they said this is needed. Yes, I yes. think at, at the doors we heard a lot about the lack of repairs, the retaliation, because when you don't have good cause, 
uh, a landlord, instead of repairs, can hit you with a 30-day notice without any trouble and then just move in a tenant who's going to complain less. But what we what we did is we were hearing from our electeds over and over, no matter how many times we brought these issues to them, no matter how bad the housing situation got, that 10 was too many rights to move forward. Um, that, that this was too big a package. So we invited everybody who had signed postcards. We invited tenants from across the city of Buffalo to come to something we called the Tenant Power Summit. And, and there, tenants voted on the rights that were most important okay. to them. Mm-hmm. Good Cause was the absolute breakaway r- winner. Um, the other three were uh, a right to timely repairs, which, again, you cannot enforce a right to repairs if you cannot enforce that someone has a right to stay in their home. Because um, they could be threatened or, in essence, kicked out. Of, uh, yes. Favor. Correct. Okay. And that that is one of the most common stories we hear about mm-hmm. retaliatory evictions, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um and, and then, of course, the right to a rent relief fund and the right to a rent stabilization component. And since good cause includes that component of stabilization, it puts a cap on the rent increase that can be put on a building without you know, significant repairs. It essentially um, encapsulates two out of the four that people found were most important and, again, was the breakaway winner. So good cause eviction really does not mean that nobody can ever be evicted. It simply means that a tenant in good standing, a tenant who is up to date on their rent, a tenant who is not smoking inside of a non-smoking building, who gets along with their neighbors, and who isn't running an illegal puppy mill out of the bathroom, right, right? is not doing anything to violate the terms of their lease, they have a right to stay there. And it does not change any of the existing you know, processes for legally evicting somebody through the courts whatsoever. It simply means that a tenant should have a right to stability. Correct. Um, are there other communities that have uh, used this uh, good cause eviction uh, law? Have they uh, implemented it? Do we hear about this? Yes. yes. Oh, really? Uh, yes. yes. So the entire state of so New Jersey it, has a... had it for years. Okay. Um, the entire state of Jersey. Um, and there are also several municipalities across Buffalo that have implemented it. Albany, Poughkeepsie, Kingston. Um, and we are fighting for this to be passed at the state level as well. So it is, of course, a local fight because I'm a local girl. I'm not going to lie. Right. Uh, my heart is <laughs> Buffalo. Uh, but the state needs these protections just as much. Um, and this is so. This is something that we are fighting for at both the local and the state levels because for New York State to have good cause evictions would protect everyone that needs it. Sarah, if you don't mind... Um... You told me a little bit off air about your your uh, personal situation um, for a few years back, and I don't you don't necessarily have to get into all of it. You're welcome to do so, but mm-hmm. but this good uh, 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 cause eviction mm-hmm. clause would it have helped you? A hundred percent. I had gotten behind on rent three months um, because of a, um, a, a sickness at work and. Um, I was evicted, essentially, because I could never catch up okay. because the rent is just too dang high. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And this was in the, uh, 2016. Um, and with that, I ended up having to move into a shelter with my eight-year-old son at the time. Um, I stayed in the shelter, thank God, for 30 days. 
I didn't have to go past the 30 days because I was able to get into a program through Catholic Charities that was essentially a tenant rehab program, so to speak, like where the eviction wouldn't count against me. Okay. Mm. And they would help me get stabilized in this apartment. So they helped me get in with, you know, um, help me with my um, my security deposit mm-hmm. and finding a place that was safe and affordable. And, and then from there, I was able to, you know, maybe get back on my feet, but I'm still a tenant. Yeah. Well, and if I can say, you know, I've, Sarah's invited me into her home because she's gracious and lovely, and she's created this beautiful home for herself and her son that just really showcases her personality. Um, and I'm so glad that you have that. I will, and I'll say that while that case that you have, uh, th- that you had right mm-hmm. uh, of falling behind on rent might not have protected you necessarily under good cause because Correct. falling behind on rent is a reason to evict. It also gives space for interventions. So we know that there are many not-for-profits who are without any help from mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. city yes. uh, providing things like legal services. And so sometimes people are evicted for several hundred dollars and all that they would need is a small loan or the chance to go before a judge and argue for a payment plan. Correct. And so people who are behind never get a chance to catch up if you're evicted. But if somebody is only behind two months rent and your rent is still reasonable, let's say, I don't know, 800 because that's reasonable now, that's $1,600. But if you put that at $300 a month for several months, you can be caught up mm-hmm. and you just need the chance to go before a judge and say, this is what I can do, right? And so, or the chance for a, a local not-for-profit to give the, that small loan that small financial intervention Mm -hmm. in order to keep somebody stable in a home and that is another point where we'll be able to create interventions and get landlords frankly their money right 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 which is which of course essentially is is what they want yes of course uh this is as we're talking here this this is coming to to my mind in a city where 60 percent of the people are renters and you're trying to get this legislation passed, whether it's all 10 or maybe just one or two or three mm-hmm. of the Bill of Rights, are renters voters? Are they are they pushing elected officials? The, you know, there are people that are supposed to be rent, uh, representing them. Are they is there a push are, or is there something lacking in that regard? I and mean, tell me tell me about that. I mean, is that I mean, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is can an elected official just basically ignore the concerns of renters. They are calling into their offices. Mm-hmm. They are writing letters. They are testifying at different summits that we've held. Sarah, can I ask you? Did some voter registration with yes. the youth as well? Yes. And what did we find that the majority of folks, even tenants, said that they were already registered and okay. were active voters? Right. Correct. Um, and so I think that there might be a a mischaracterization um, that people think tenants move around so much and they're not registered to vote i i re-register every time but i have been in the same district even though i've had many apartments i've moved about an average of once a year for my entire adult life um Mm -hmm. i have been in the niagara district for seven years and i and that is my home right and i am always a voter there and i would say that this is 
to me, this is the moment. The crisis, the housing crisis has never been worse than it is. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that tenants are the majority. And I think homeownership is not, it's not necessarily a permanent status. Correct. Right? Becoming a tenant is very easy. Yes. Um, and, and people deserve safety and stability in their homes no matter no what. No matter what. And that will do it for today's Summertime Producer Pickup. So we would like to thank our guests, Stephanie Simeon, Ashley Smith, Teresa Watson, and Sarah Frazier. If you missed this and you'd like to hear it again, a reminder that this program is a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts or the Amplify BTPM app. And each episode is available online on demand at WBFO.org. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WBJ Jamestown, your NPR station. This is Charles Gilbert. Thanks for listening.